As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined today, as always, by the athletic senior writer, Chris Manini, uh, and we will have a special guest, our Michigan writer, Austin Meek. He'll be joining the show in just a little bit. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on the Andy Staples Show and Friends feed. Andy and Ari always have something cooking, even in the off-season, so you'll want to stay tuned on this feed for the next few months. On today's episode of Power Hour, we'll break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. So Chris, let's dive in. We'll start with the Power Five. In in true Power Hour fashion, we give ourselves about a minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds and it's time to move on to the next. Chris, I will let you get us started. Number one, Josh Heupel has received an extension at Tennessee, will now make around $9 million per year. That's a raise of $4 million, taking Heupel to fifth among SEC coaches behind Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher, and Brian Kelly. Um, this is a very quick and hefty raise for Heupel. He got a $4 million salary when he got hired. That got bumped to $5 million, and now he's at nine. At least seven SEC coaches are going to make at least $9 million, which blows my mind. Uh, but look, Heupel's done a very good job at Tennessee. You go to the Orange Bowl, you win the Orange Bowl, you beat Alabama last year. Done a lot of things that have not been done there in quite some time. Uh, so, yeah, more money for more coaches. And it's kind of wild because Josh Heupel, just a couple years ago at UCF, fans were kind of wanting him to hit the door. And now he's making $9 million in the SEC. So, uh Good for him. So, so are you saying it's 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 easy to get four million dollar raises? Like, is this something we should be asking for, Chris? Yeah, I think we should. Uh, I'm going to keep that in mind. Just, <laughs> I mean, there, there have been a lot of raise. I mean, Shane Beamer got a huge raise as well at South Carolina, and it just goes to show, like, there continues to be more and more money in college football, especially the SEC. They've got the new TV deal coming up. You've got extra money to throw around. So, all that talk about money going to players instead of other places. Schools are somehow, believe it or not, finding the money to pay coaches even more, but good for Josh Heupel. Yep. And at least in this situation, the coach accomplished some things. You know how I feel about extensions and raises where nothing significant had been accomplished. Like at Tennessee, Uh, like, like uh, Jeremy Pruitt, the previous coach. Jeremy Jeremy Pruitt was a great example of that. So Tennessee, the example of um, what I hate and what I understand, even though the money is certainly uh, much higher than uh, it's, I mean, not that it needs to be, because I mean, that's, that is what they feel like it needs to be in the SEC, but it is just jarring to see a $4 million a year raise, but congrats to Josh Heupel for, for landing that. All right. Number two, Bill O'Brien is off to the Patriots to be their offensive coordinator. After two seasons under Nick Saban at Alabama, he's off, back to the NFL where his career began in 2007. So he's 
he's going back to the Patriots. He has worked there before. Uh, we all know about his stint at Penn State. We all know his stint with the Houston Texans. And now what this means is, first of all, I think Alabama fans are totally fine with this. They're fine with both coordinator changes that are happening. But Saban does need a D.C., but he will also be looking for his sixth different offensive coordinator in the past eight seasons. And this has become a revolving door where Nick Saban has taken in coaches who have failed elsewhere, given them second chances, sent them off to prestigious head coaching jobs or head coaching jobs elsewhere. Good jobs. Uh, but that is still massive turnover. Um, it is still a revolving door. This is a very important offseason for Alabama to continue to reinsert itself as one of the elite programs in college football and not just handing over the mantle to Georgia. So this is really fascinating. And it's one of those situations where an offensive coordinator who has been under some pressure and Nick Saban has not necessarily been the most effusive with his praise has a landing spot, has an exit ramp. Uh, it's a pretty good job on its own. Yeah, it is a, not a coincidence that you heard Bill O'Brien's name pop up for almost every single college football coaching opening uh, in this cycle. Uh, there were people uh, at, at Alabama, at, at uh, you know his agency, who were trying to get Bill O'Brien to a landing spot. And look, becoming the Patriots offense coordinator is a pretty good one. I do find it hilarious that it seems like the only B-roll anybody has of Bill O'Brien with the Patriots is that time he got in a big fight with Tom Brady on the sideline when they got in a, <laughs> when they got in a yelling match. So I've seen that clip about a million times over the past uh, couple of days. Uh, and yeah, look, you made the point. Like, the Alabama offense coordinator job, one, probably one of the best assistant jobs to have in – College football. Think about the other names that have come through there. Lane Kiffin, he's now the head coach at Ole Miss. Brian Dabble, the head coach of the Giants. Steve Sarkeesian, the head coach uh, of Texas. So this is a job where you're going to have some very, very good talent and you can do a lot with it. Now, the next offensive coordinator, however, needs to fix the quarterback position. Uh, they need to uh, find some, from, some new running backs and figure out that wide receiver position. So there is a lot of work to do at Alabama, and, and you're seeing a lot of staff overhaul, which happens under Saban. He has a lot of staff overhaul, and now he's got two coordinator uh, openings. Number three, uh, more coaching news. Uh, Ed Reed will not be the head coach of Bethune-Cookman. This was announced a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, and it was kind of fishy to me at first because they only announced that they had, a, that they had an agreement in principle and never announced any press conference. You know, usually when you get a big name as your head coach, you want to get him out in front as soon as possible. That did not happen. Uh, then about a week or so ago, Ed Reed posted on Instagram Live complaining about the conditions of, of uh, some of the facilities, some of campus, talked about uh, garbage being uh, on the ground around and came out later, uh, I think it was late last week, early this week, that uh, Bethune-Cookman will not move forward with him as head coach. Ed Reed uh, kind of blew up about this a bit. He had a pretty passionate speech in front of uh, uh, the players compared it to Jesus and Judas Dion, you know, phoned in to support him and stuff like that. And we've seen Ed Reed go on the Roland Martin show to talk about this more. So really kind of a mess of a situation that I don't think anybody really looked good at. Nicole, what were your kind of first thoughts on seeing this? Yeah. You know, I've seen a number of smart people, you know, make some points about, HBCUs hiring celebrity coaches in, in the wake of what Dion did and, and that he was able to win at Jackson State and maybe hiring these coaches who don't understand the financial or resource realities that they're walking into at these HBCU programs. Um, I think that that's probably part of it and, and that this is some sort of idea of a quick fix where, you know, maybe it's not the right fit or it's not the right spot for someone Um you know, especially depending on like the level of actual coaching experience, I think that these these coaches are coming in with, um, especially the ones who are the star players. You know, they, they're going to be hard jobs. These are really hard jobs. Yes. They're a grind. You're you're maximizing, you know, with what you have, but you're not going to have good facilities. You're not going to have great resources or help from the school. Like it is not what you're walking into um, in a Power Five program at all. And so. Um, it was just sort of this idea that, you know, you don't have, like I was reading it on Anscape and it was like this idea that 
you know, a celebrity coach will just come in and fix everything needs to go away. People need to stop looking at celebrity coaches as the answer. But also part of the reason that it bothered people that Dion left HBCUs was because, you know, you do feel like those jobs are hard and that you need people who are committed to them and elevating HBCUs and not just leaving for the next best thing. And we, we've talked about this, about whether, you know, Dion ever promised that he would stay at HBCUs forever or whatever it might be. But the, this is part of the, it's all connected because people, you know, th- there are a lot of lifers in that space and there are a lot of people dedicated to trying to improve those resources and these long processes to get these, uh, to get these schools and these football programs improving and more support. And I think that this just kind of highlights that and how um, you really have to be, you know, a certain kind of person and a certain kind of coach to be in those jobs. And there are just really no quick fixes. A big name is not going to quick fix an HBCU program that lacks resources. Yeah. I I said this when, when Ed Reed got the job and it was like, you need to understand what you're walking into. And I don't think Ed Reed did. And it really is a credit to the job that Dion did to get kids to Jackson to, uh, to, to, to win at that level and to deal with the realities of, of those institutions that have been underfunded for decades and decades. And it, it was a bumpy road for Dion. I mean, his first game, he came after the press conference and complained that somebody stole something out of his locker, which turned out to not, not be the case, but he grew into to that job. You know, Hugh Jackson had a rough first year at Grambling. It's kind of weird what's going on there. Uh, Eddie George at Tennessee State is doing the right things. He's talking about the important things that uh, involve HBCUs, but he's also hasn't turned it around on the field or in recruiting it. And, and that's getting kids to to the Nashville area. So, uh, you know, I, I've, I've written stories about HBCUs, talked to coaches at those places. Dion was very polarizing for a lot of reasons but nobody could deny that he put in the work. You know, he was a high school assistant coach, you know, before he uh, got to Jackson State. He was coaching his son. But this is a guy who's working his way up the ladder. Ed Reed had done some stuff with Miami, had done some stuff with the Bills, but he hadn't really been like a coach coach. Uh, so uh, we'll see. There, there have been some protests at Bethune-Cookman about the trustees over this. Ed Reed continues to, to say some things. Uh, just kind of a messy situation uh, in, uh, in total. So speaking of Dion, number four, Dion Sanders flips Cormani McLean. And this was a saga that we've all been following for a really long time. Manny Navarro has done a really good job, um, you know, keeping up with that. But obviously it's a big deal for a five-star player to commit to Dion at Colorado and what he's trying to build there. So now if you look at this in sum, Colorado has a top 30 high school recruiting class and the number four transfer class. And these are the things that he needs to do to try to improve things at Colorado. I mean, there's only one direction to go from where the buffs were last year. But the question really was, you know, can Dion bring talent, bring dudes to Boulder uh, to give them a chance here? And I think so far we're seeing that the answer is yes, he's able to get guys to commit to him and to come can they, will they stay? Will they build? Will it gel? We don't know those answers yet, but the question of are players going to come play for Deion Sanders in Boulder, Colorado, the answer appears to be yes. Yeah. Look, and, and Ari and Andy and Max talked uh, the other day on this pod. If Dion is the new portal King taking that from, uh, from, from Lane, he's getting players to Colorado and he's putting it all on film. I've been trying to watch some of the videos that they put out. I think we're kind of in off-season mode here. One of the latest videos was about not liking, I think, White Sox or something like that. I have not watched all of them. But... That sounds like the type of content that I would watch, though. Send me that one. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I will send you. Uh, I'll send you that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, look, this happened. At, remember, this happened at Jackson State, where Dion signed a very, very good class his first before he even coached a game. Yes. And then that spring season happened, and none of those players could play yet because. It was the spring 2021. Uh, But by the time that second season came around, that fall season, things turned in a big way. And Colorado may have a very tough year in that first season next fall. If you've seen the schedule that came out, I think, last week, Colorado's schedule, very, very difficult. They've got TCU. They've got 
uh, uh, Nebraska, which is rebuilding as well. And the Pac-12 is loaded this year. So Dion may not turn it around in year one, but what he's going to have to do is keep these good players at Colorado and bring in more. And as we're seeing, as he did before, he can get talent to uh, basically anywhere right now. Jackson, Mississippi, Boulder, Colorado, uh, that is working. Uh, number five, uh, the Michigan Tunnel, one of the favorite stories of the 2022 season. Uh, Michigan is removing a number of seats around the tunnel at Michigan Stadium, about 45 seats uh, to basically give people some more space. Now, from what I've read and what our colleague Austin Meek wrote, the size of the tunnel is not increasing. So the, the player fight that happened in there, some of the other stuff, I don't know if that will be affected. But what is notable is that uh, everybody remembers the fight with Michigan State. What people don't remember is that a fan reached over and touched Mel Tucker on the head. And Mel reacted as anybody would. Uh, and so now fans won't be able to do that. But uh, this, uh, of all the many Michigan stories we've had over the past couple of weeks, I think the tunnel one, bringing up that story from the, from the fall was a, uh, uh, just another hot button topic. Yeah, it was. And for those concerned about attendance records, those, those folks who are losing those seats will be relocated and there will be standing room seats and, and capacity will be where it usually is. Um, but yes, there is some resolution to all of the drama surrounding the tunnel of last season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There is so much more drama surrounding the University of Michigan and the football program that we are going to bring in our pal, Austin Meek. He covers Michigan, does an excellent job doing that for us here at The Athletic. And it is time to go to our On the Rocks segment. We're going to switch up our order this week because we have Austin with us. And it, On the Rocks means it's time to talk it out. There's friction somewhere in this sport, and we are, help, we are here to help you work through it. Um, there are so many different places we could start with Michigan, but let me just do a quick rundown of all of the things that have been happening literally just in the past few weeks. And poor Austin has not really had an off season because it's been crazy busy. So uh, real quick, we've had the head coach flirted with leaving and going to the NFL. People around him thought that this would be the year that he would really try to do that. Um, the program then it, it you know became public. We we broke it that the the program was dealing with an NCAA investigation. It appears to be at a little bit of an impasse right now, from what we're told, because Harbaugh doesn't want to say that he did anything unethical, that he lied, and have to sign something. There was hope that there could be a negotiated resolution that seems to be decreasing now. Meanwhile, you have the offensive coordinator, the subject of a police investigation, and is fired uh, for computer access crimes. Austin has reported on tension between Harbaugh and his athletic director, Ward Manuel. Meanwhile, you have, like, all the best players are coming back. Everyone signed NIL deals to stay. The roster should make them a favorite to win the Big Ten to get back to the CFP again. But the first question I have for you, Austin, is, what the hell is going on in Ann Arbor? <laughs> yeah, when you when you lay it all out like that, uh, it feels like uh, the football season ended like two years ago. I mean, this has been just a, a, a wild stretch of 
of breaking news for for Michigan. Uh, what is going on here? Like everything, everything is going on here. Everything that you could possibly imagine that could be happening at Michigan seems to be happening right now. It, it feels like this is the the breaking news capital of college football right now. Austin, given all of the stuff, given the NCAA investigation, given uh, the Matt Weiss um, investigation being fired, that is the time when a lot of head coaches would bail. I mean, Pete Carroll left USC. He got out of Dodge right before the NCAA kind of came in. Um, Why ultimately did Jim Harbaugh stay in Michigan? I think ultimately the reason Jim Harbaugh is at Michigan is because he hasn't found an NFL franchise that's willing to go all in with him. He tried last year. He interviewed with the Minnesota Vikings. He was flying to Minnesota on signing day last February. Then he said after that experience that that he was done with that, that it was going to be a one-time thing. He called Ward Manuel and said, I want to come back for as long as you'll have me. And then less than a year later, he's interviewing with the Denver Broncos. And as we were reporting, there was a really strong sense from a lot of people throughout the industry that if Jim Harbaugh had an opportunity to go to the NFL, that he was going to do it for some of the reasons that that you mentioned with this NCAA situation hanging out there. This would have been a good time for Jim Harbaugh to do that. But the reality is, I think that there's a gap between the way Jim Arbaugh is perceived maybe among fans, among media that, that cover the NFL and the way he's perceived by the people who make those decisions. He's a huge name. It attracts a ton of attention anytime he's mentioned for an NFL job. But from, from what we've heard, it, it definitely has not been uh, just a slam dunk that if he wants a job, he can get one. He, he um, you know, as, as we all know, he's a, a, a different personality, a very unique personality. And he's not for everybody. And and I don't know that the NFL fit has been there for him the last couple of years. And, and who knows if it'll be there in the future. So as you think about that piece coming back into, into the picture, um, again, there, the, the contract's not fully done and the NCAA penalties aren't fully done here. But you had the unique step of the university president tweeting out essentially like a recruiting graphic (laughs) saying that he had received a phone call from Jim Harbaugh and he said he's staying and all is great. Um, And obviously the Michigan fan base and and fans elsewhere parsing through the language. And you wrote about this, right. And about, you know, the relationship between the athletic director and the head coach and who normally would be handling or being the point person on contract negotiations or extensions. Um, I wonder if you could just lay out what the dynamics are, because I, I feel like it's so rare that you would see university president publicly tweeting something like this in the middle of something that is not a hundred percent locked in. Nothing has been signed yet with that extension. Yeah, it is a very unusual situation. It's the kind of thing you say, like only at Michigan would, would something like that happen. So a couple of the dynamics there. First of all, Michigan has a new president in Santa Ono. He took office in October. Um, complete, complete 180 from the previous president. You know, the previous president was didn't appear to be interested in sports at all. Had very little uh, connection with the athletics programs. Santa Ono has a reputation as as a president who has been involved and hands on with athletics from his time at University of Cincinnati and also a very like public uh, social media savvy type of president who has a very like strong public presence, which is very different for Michigan as well. So you have the combination of a new president who's coming into a situation. And hey, if you're a new president and, and you get on campus right in the middle of a run to the college football playoff, you're probably like, hey, this is this is pretty cool. And I think that was the experience for for Santa Ono. And if you want to you know, score some points with with uh, with your new uh, fan base and student body, like retaining the really popular football coach is a great way to do that. Uh, so I think it was the combination of a new president who has not been through this before at Michigan. And an athletic director in Ward Manual who has been through this many times and knows how this goes with Jim Harbaugh and understands that sometimes you just got to sort of wait it out with him. He's going to do what he's going to do. And then at the end, you can figure out how to resolve it. Uh, and so I think just the combination of, you know, the new president and the athletic director 
who has a lot of experience dealing with these things. It ended up resolving itself in a way that was a little bit odd with Jim Harbaugh calling the president and not calling his boss Ward Manuel. And I do think that that illustrates the dynamic at Michigan and the fact that I don't think Jim Harbaugh and, and Ward Manuel are on super close terms. I, I wouldn't expect that to be the case with Jim Harbaugh, probably and anybody who is in that AD job. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a weird dynamic right now. And I do think Jim Harbaugh and Ward Manuel have some things to work through to get that relationship where it probably needs to be. Yeah. I remember uh, the president put out the statement that they support Harbaugh, then Harbaugh put out a statement that he supports the support that he's getting. And then finally Harbaugh's final statement listed the president didn't list the, the athletic director. And that was a graphic clearly put out by the school. So they actively didn't include the athletic director on it. So it's kind of uh, very awkward going around there. What, the, probably the most serious part of all this, you may not have an answer, but the Matt Weiss situation, uh, there was a police presence at his home. There's a police investigation. He has been fired. Him and Harbaugh uh, were, were, were close. Just kind of what's the latest with that? And just kind of what's your, any thoughts on that whole situation? Yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird situation. Uh, and there's a lot that we don't know about what happened with Matt Weiss. We, we've heard different things, but nothing that's really been substantiated yet. So all we really know is that he's been fired with cause from Michigan. And I, I think that speaks to the fact that whatever was going on there, it, it was serious enough and clear cut enough that in a pretty short period of time, Michigan was able to come to the conclusion that whatever happens with the police investigation, something occurred here that was grounds for termination for cause. So that, that tells you that this was not just like some little insignificant thing, you know, the, 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 clearly something happened with him uh, that, that was serious enough that Michigan felt it was justified to fire him. You know, Matt Weiss a year ago was really the guy who had emerged as, as Jim Harbaugh's kind of new uh, right-hand man in a way. Like th this happens all the time with Jim Harbaugh. He kind of, you know, he'll cycle through different coaches who come in and kind of rise up to sort of a, you know, a position of influence on his staff. And then maybe he'll kind of cool off on that coach a little bit and somebody else will come in and take that job. And so, you know, a year ago when Jim Harbaugh was, was looking at the NFL, Matt Weiss was really thought of as, as somebody who was really influential on that staff and, and would have gone with Jim Harbaugh to the NFL if, if he had left. So it's, it's quite a, you know, dramatic turn of events now a year later for, for Matt Weiss to be out amid this cloud of investigation and, and speculation and Michigan needs to hire now a, quarterbacks coach and potentially a, a, a co-offensive coordinator. Um, and, and we're still waiting for the, the details to come out. And I, I have a feeling that we have not heard the last of this situation because when it comes out, um, I, I have, I have a feeling that there may be some things that, that don't look real good for Michigan or, or for Matt Weiss. So I think one of the things that was obviously, this is just a strange headline to emerge and to come out in, in a sports space. Um, but what have you gathered about, you know, what a computer access crime is? Like, what is the, what are, what does it mean? I mean, what I've gathered was like, it involves hacking. It involves accessing people's personal um, files or emails or whatever it might be. Um, have you gotten a sense of like the range of possibilities of what this could, could mean as a, as, as how it's labeled? Well, the most concrete information I think we have about what happened is, there was an employee from the University of Michigan who called the university police on January 5th and reported that somebody at Schembechler Hall had been accessing university email accounts without authorization. So there's obviously some questions there in terms of like who, who called the university police. Was it an IT person? Was it somebody else in the building? We, we don't know that. Um, but that, that piece of somebody allegedly accessing university email accounts, I think at least sort of gives you an idea of the type of thing that we might be talking about. And, and we don't know exactly how, how that was happening, you know, how he might've been accessing those accounts or what he was trying to do uh, by getting into those accounts. And I mean, it's a very, right now it's a very vague, uh, very vague picture, but I think that we can say that in terms of computer access crimes, it, 
I think we can say it's hacking. Like that, that would be the most simple way I think to describe the type of thing that we're talking about. Back to Harbaugh. There were a number of, there have been a number of things in this whole saga, which have been kind of funny to me. One of them was the statements, like I mentioned. The other was some other reporting from NFL reporters that, uh, this could all go away for Michigan if they simply gave Jim Harbaugh a bigger contract. <laughs> and and we, we know that Jim Harbaugh is using an agent this year, something he doesn't always do. Uh, so I guess the question is, was this whole thing just a shakedown <laughs> to try to get a bigger contract out of Michigan? No, I don't think so. I, I think that's the, you know, that's the type of thing sometimes you hear from people who cover the NFL and maybe don't, don't cover Jim Harbaugh as closely. I, it's easy to assume that. And I'm not going to say at all that like, oh, money has no part in this. We all know money has a part in everything, in every negotiation in college football. So there, there's certainly an element of of the financial negotiation that's happening with Jim Harbaugh and Michigan. But I really don't think at the end of the day, this was just about Jim Harbaugh trying to get more money out of Michigan, because I think I think he could have done that without interviewing with the Broncos. I don't I don't think he needed that leverage. And when he came back to Michigan, he did that without a contract extension on the table. Uh, it's not as though, you know, he just used that interview to sign an extension and then he came back. Uh, that's still ongoing. They haven't they haven't agreed on an extension yet. I think it's a lot more about Jim Harbaugh still a part of him, no matter what he said last year, still feels a desire to go back and prove himself at the NFL, sees the NFL as the ultimate prize in college football, the super in in football sees that the Super Bowl is the ultimate prize in football. Uh, and I think that also there's an element of Jim Harbaugh is a really, really competitive person and the competition does not stop at the end of the season. The off season is a competition too, <laughs> sometimes between Jim Harbaugh and his administration. And he is going to, you know, pull every lever, push every button. In this case, it was interviewing with the Broncos. And ultimately I don't, think it was completely about the money maybe not primarily about the money and probably more about who who really holds the cards who really has has the power at Michigan and I think Jim Harbaugh may come out of this offseason we'll see what happens with the NCAA stuff um, but right now he's coming out in a, in a pretty strong position yeah the inter the interesting dynamic of the the variable of the NCAA stuff was definitely part of it because you know, for a while, people were talking about him, you know, maybe being more inclined to go to the NFL. And we didn't know, right? And that piece wasn't reportable yet, that there was this NCAA investigation. And I feel like once Michigan looked at it and looked at what the charges were, they were like, all right, we can move on from this. We're able to work with him on this. Um, now, obviously, there's snags in, in the process and, you know, an idea of negotiating things down, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I guess, like, does it surprise you, Austin, knowing Harbaugh, that he wouldn't just kind of do exactly what the NCAA says and, you know, apologize, sign whatever, admit whatever, um, just to get it to move on? Because I'm not surprised whatsoever that <laughs> yeah. he would not want to, if he had to sign something that said, like, unethical conduct or, like, I wasn't being truthful, like, I, I could see why he would refuse to do that yeah no not not surprised in the least uh you know like i was saying everything with jim harbaugh is a competition so if you're going to tell jim harbaugh all right jim it's, it's you on this side and the ncaa on this side what do you want to do jim harbaugh is going to dig his heels in and fight tooth and nail uh that's who he is especially against the ncaa like you know it, in a way I, I i'm not saying that he he wanted this whole situation to come about in any, any way, shape or form, but is there a part of Jim Harbaugh that probably in some ways like relishes the chance to go toe to toe against the NCAA? I'd say probably there is like knowing him and, and knowing the way he thinks about things and, you know, some of the gripes he's had with, with the NCAA over the years. I, I, I am not surprised in the least that he is not just, you know, quietly accepting his punishment and moving on. Some coaches would, that's, that's part of what makes Michigan, you know, such a, a unique place is that a lot of coaches would kind of just quietly want to make this go away and say, hey, it's not a big deal. You know, let's just like limit the damage, you know, keep this out of the headlines, take our punishment, move on. That's not how Jim Harbaugh looks at things. He's happy, you know, to deal with the conflict and the chaos. 
uh, if, if that's what it takes to fight for his principles. And I think that I'm sure in his mind, he probably feels like he did nothing wrong. And if he feels like he did nothing wrong, then he's, he is not going to admit that on principle. He's going to, he's going to fight this to the end. Okay. So last one, Austin, and then we'll let you go. Um, Michigan dealt with all the things you mentioned last year, the off season with Jim Harbaugh looking at the NFL and, and a number of, you know, staffing, you know, there's just, there's just a lot of moving pieces last year. And one of the questions was, you know, how would the team respond? How would the program respond? Well, they go respond They beat Ohio state again. They win the big 10 again and they get to the CFP. Um, there's a ton of talent coming back. Blake Corum might be one of the biggest surprises in all of college football to come back for another year. Is the program going to be fine despite all of these, you know, off field issues? Like how, how do you foresee heading into spring ball with, uh, and maybe, maybe some of this won't be uncertainty at the time, but really just upheaval in general around the program. Yeah, I'd say one of the hallmarks of of Jim Harbaugh's program since he's been at Michigan is there is always off-season drama. This happens every year. Uh, it's not always the same drama, but there's always drama. And every year there's the conversation of like, you know, gee, is this gonna is this gonna set Michigan back? Like, can they overcome this? And then by and large, Jim Harbaugh is really good at whatever has happened in the off-season when it's time to play football, he really gets his team to focus you know, with a, a single minded determination uh, and lock in and tune out everything else that's going on around the program. So my assumption is that that Michigan will be able to do that again. They've got a really veteran team. I don't think that it's going to be rattled by a lot. They've got a really talented team. So, I mean, we'll see. I This is this is a little bit different than other off seasons at Michigan. Obviously, the Matt Weiss situation is is not like other situations that have happened here and, and we'll see where that goes. And, and the NCAA situation is kind of an unknown because that's a little bit different too. But my assumption with Jim Harbaugh, as long as he's at Michigan is that there's always going to be drama. There's always going to be stuff going on on the outside, but when the season comes and it's time to kick off, I think we're going to see a Michigan team like the Michigan teams we've seen the last two years. That's, that's really focused, really tough and, and should compete for a third straight trip to the playoff. All right. Well, it is a crazy off season and Austin is right there in the middle of it each day, covering everything, every twist and turn in Ann Arbor, Austin Meek. We appreciate your time. We'll have you back on at some point to talk actual football this off season. Um, but we appreciate all your hard work in the off field space. All right. Thanks y'all. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We are going to flip it back over to happy hour. This is the part of the show where we talk about things that we are happy about things that bring us joy things that are good in the college football world and chris i will let you get us started here and let's talk about florida state for a minute um you know there's been a lot of talk about miami and, and the recruiting class that they're doing and the nil stuff they're doing there's talk about florida and uh, the nil mess that they're kind of in with the rashada situation we talked about last week and i think a school we're not talking about enough is florida state which is keeping a lot of talented players around from last year's team. Some of that is uh, around NIL. Some of it is not, but you've got edge rusher, Jared verse, a potential first round pick who's coming back. Jordan Travis, the quarterback, Johnny Wilson, the wide receiver running back, Trey Benson, defensive lineman, Fabian Lovett, who had a senior bowl invite. These are some really, really good players on a Florida state team. Uh, that won 10 games this year that finally had that breakthrough bounce back season under Mike Norvell and a team that I think a lot of us are now picking to be a favorite or co-favorite of the ACC along with Clemson. And so I'm just kind of thinking like Florida state, you know, is doing NIL in a different kind of way. They don't have the same kind of money at Florida state that you get at an SEC school or something like that but they're finding different ways to take advantage of things. Mike Norvell's got a really good track record of development 
I'm just kind of curious what you think about Florida State right now. Well, you know how I feel about these types of stories where patience actually pays off. And I, I feel like this is a, a really good example of it. And I remember when you and I talked after you visited Tallahassee before the season last year about all of the different building blocks that had been there to take that next step. And, you know, it's tough taking over when a coach is fired. It's also tough, you know, in, in a series of coaches that Florida state had had when then you try to start over, re-recruit guys for your system, then start over again when you're replacing a coach who wasn't there very long um, it, it's just a challenge and there's no patience in college football anymore. So I like when we watch a program under a coach get better. I like that there are a lot of players. Obviously we talked about like the Jared versus of the world and, and there's always going to be portal guys when you talk about programs that are building up and taking steps. But I, I love that it's a lot of the same guys that have been through some of these lows, right? I'm, I, I, you know, I like that it's the same quarterback. I like that you have an offensive line group that has been much maligned that gets better together as a unit. Um, so I just like that we watched this team take steps. Like it did not feel like a fluke what we saw from Florida State last year. And I am with you totally about, you know, they're going to be one of the favorites, especially with the ACC getting rid of divisions. Florida, yes. Florida State is one of the prime beneficiaries of something like that because yes. now for them to get back to where they want to be competing for ACC championships, it doesn't necessarily come down to one game against Clemson that can block you from that opportunity. So I think it's huge. I think that Florida State and Penn State are my picks to be like the media darlings of the offseason because I think people will eventually, I know you said that Florida State isn't getting enough attention yet, but I think eventually people will realize what is there, what is coming back, where they are in the build, that things weren't flukes. And it's the same thing at Penn State where I think people will realize just how many of their key playmakers were true freshmen last year and like the core that they're going to be continuing to build with. And we want Penn State to be super nationally relevant. We want Florida State to be super nationally relevant, right? So I think that people are going to realize these things and what Mike Norvell did wasn't easy and takes a lot of uh fortitude I think because people were saying a lot of things people were um you know you have different factions and fan bases that you have to win over and yet he did it and he built it and he built it with the same quarterback he built it through improving the offensive line play. Like the, these were just, these were the keys that we all had been saying for years that they needed to improve. And, and they did. And I remember EJ Manuel telling me before the season started, before the LSU game last year, that, um, you know, it, it was going to be different. You know, it was going to be a situation, you know, where you're going to have an offense that could be effective, that the defense was going to have athletes and, and, and make plays. But the offense was really ready to take that to take that next step. And he was right, obviously, against LSU. That was still one of the crazier games of the whole season. And we got that in, in the yeah. opening weekend. Um, but I, I think, you know, he had he had gotten the sense, especially about the O-line, that there would be time to develop offensive plays. And that, that made a big difference. So anyway, I, I like that this was not a quick fix. I like that this was not Lincoln Riley bringing in you know, 30 transfers. Like, I like that this was a methodical build. Well, it's interesting is like the, the high school recruiting, you'd like it to be better. Obviously losing Travis Hunter to Deion Sanders and Jackson state was a pretty embarrassing moment for them, but Florida state has been as good as anybody, maybe the best team in the transfer portal, not necessarily in number of guys, but almost all those players I just mentioned that are coming back. Almost every single one of them was a transfer. Jared Verse came from 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 Albany. Uh, you you got receivers came from Illinois, Arizona State, running backs from Oregon and other places. So their hit rates out of the portal is incredibly high. And oh, if you're if you're going to do the portal, you want to do it well. And Florida State's doing it well. Well, and like Jared Verse is a great example a of the portal of how it can work. Right about the opportunities to go up a level, uh, significantly up a level, but also to the the talent you know, evaluation and the decision and the fit and all these things, um, you know, when you take the guy from Albany and that was an impact player right, right out of the gate. Um, it's also interesting. I mean, just to, to put a bow on this, 
Florida State's already doing a Heisman campaign for Jordan Travis. I think it's so funny to see a Heisman earliest. campaign. Yeah, it's gotta, be, it's gotta be the earliest. It was the day after the national championship <laughs> game. It was a mid-January Heisman campaign for Jordan Travis. Uh, but they're really trying to get that name recognition up there, and they clearly believe that everyone they have coming back that they're going to be uh, one of those teams that's going to be right in the news, right in the center of it. And you know, if you're right in the center of it, and your quarterback's having a good year, you are in the Heisman mix. Yes, and then one last thing on this: the NFL playoffs. Obviously, we're watching that, and some players who stuck out early on, Tony Pollard, the running back at uh, the Dallas Cowboys, Kenneth Gainwell, the running back with the Eagles, went over 100 yards in their last game. Both of those guys played at Memphis at the same time, and I put to, I put this together over the weekend when I was watching some of these NFL playoff games. That 2018 Memphis team under Mike Norvell had Tony Pollard, Antonio Gibson, Daryl Henderson, Kenneth Gainwell, Calvin Austin, Patrick Taylor Jr., and DeMonte Coetzee, all offensive skill talent that is a ridiculous amount of talent especially for a place like memphis and florida state fans loved that i I tweeted that it got big reaction from florida state fans so we're a long way from the fire mike norvell twitter spaces they are now all on board with the player development there and uh you've seen that even in the nfl playoffs uh okay one last happy hour topic involves charlotte and uh, Chris, I will also let you take this one away. So I did a group of five winners and losers out of the portal earlier this week in my mailbag. And I had not quite realized what type of overhaul we had seen at Charlotte, where Biff Pogge is now the head coach. Uh, they have at least 37 incoming transfers. At least 21 of those guys are scholarship players. But most notably, 15 of them played at St. Francis Academy in Baltimore at the high school where Biff Pogi coached. That includes former five-star edge rusher uh, Iabi Oki from Michigan and from Alabama. You've got Minnesota wide receiver Ike White, uh, Ole Miss defensive end Demon Clowney. He is Jadavion's cousin, which is an incredible name. But uh, Charlotte, one of the low-key winners of the transfer portal, and it's been fascinating to watch uh, Biff Pogi basically pulling all these guys he put into college football from the high school level are all coming back to play with him. It's going to be a fascinating experiment. It's like the ultimate bounce back transfer. I mean, we see it so many times with a college coach who recruits someone, they go somewhere else and they come back closer to home or whatever. But yeah. coming back to play for the the coach that you played for in high school uh, is, is a different level. Um, so that's pretty cool. That one's going to be an interesting one to track um, and, and one of the more creative hires, I think, in the cycle. Um, okay, well, before we wrap things up, it is time for the last call. It's the part of the show, whether we cheers or jeers and we – uh, whatever we would be drinking to as the bar is closing, if we wanted, you know, one last rant, one last cheers, uh, this is the time to do it. And I'll go first here. So I feel like a lot of these this time of year end up being NFL playoff related, which I, I feel like it's fine. I mean, we're all still starved for football, and this is probably the most uh, time of the year that I'm watching, you know, Sundays and Saturdays too, but just straight through um, for the NFL. So my cheers, my last call is going to Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase because we loved watching that 2019 LSU team. Um, I mean, unless you were like an Alabama fan, but even I think Alabama fans understood that there was something special about that LSU team that year. And there was so much talent on both sides of the ball, but that offense, the ease at which Joe Burrow ran it, the many different options that he had for different ways to beat you. Uh, it was just, you know, like Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, and, and there were just so many interesting pieces to it. But one of my favorite things now, when we send our college players off to the NFL, and I always joke that it's like we're giving away our children and they're like watching them grow up. And we kind of just hope that they go into good scenarios and good deals and, so I was so excited that Trevor Lawrence had the success that he did this year, you know, with, without Urban Meyer and all these different things, right? Well, I love that. I love when teammates get to be on a team together in the NFL. And I also just love watching Joe Burrow find Jamar Chase. Like it is, it's, it's comforting. And I'm not even, I was not an LSU fan, not a Bengals fan, but it was, 
it's comforting. It's, it's like the chemistry is just, it just off the charts. And I just hope that they stay together. I hope that we get this for another 10 years. I, I love that we have seen it, seen these crazy plays, seen this crazy chemistry dating back to 2019. Um, we're seeing it in the NFL playoffs this year. And I just, I, I hope that everyone stays healthy. Everyone stays on the same team. I just hope we get it for another 10 years. Cause it's, Pulling out my heartstrings, plus it's just awesome football. You know, uh, our, our friend Alex Kirshner made a, a comment the other day, which was that 2019 LSU offense might be the greatest offense in college football history, but should it have been even better than it was? <laughs> I mean, looking back at what those guys are doing in the NFL right now, which is a, a fair comment. Also, congrats to uh, Stuart Mandel, our, our boss, and a longtime Bengals fan who's just been enjoying the heck out of the last uh, two years of, of Bengals football. My cheers is kind of going out of football a, a, a bit, and it's to the Royal Rumble, professional wrestling. Uh, my favorite event of the year is this Saturday, and I'm bringing this up because of the we have had a former college athlete win the Royal, win the men's or women's Royal Rumble in each of the last three years. Brock Lesnar, former Minnesota wrestler. Bianca Belair, former Tennessee uh, track and field star, and Charlotte Flair, former NC State and App State volleyball player. And it just goes to show that uh, WWE is making a big push into college athletics right now. A former uh, Northwestern football player who's making a big run uh, in their developmental program right now, as well as a former Oregon uh, uh, gymnast. And this year's uh, Rumble, the men's favorite is Cody Rhodes, son of Dusty Rhodes, who almost went to Penn State to be a, a wrestler there. So uh, if you watch pro wrestling, there's a lot of college uh, athlete, uh, athletics connections. The current champion, Roman Reigns, is a former Georgia Tech football player. We've talked about Taylor Swift on this podcast before, so I wanted the opportunity to talk about professional wrestling. And with the Royal Rumble this Saturday, this was the time to do it. A lot of college uh, football players will be in that as well. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna limit the amount of wrestling references that you're able to make on this podcast. I will be getting back to you with a contract for you to sign on how it's like once every six months you are allowed some wrestling. I feel like a lot of last calls go to go to wrestling related content, Chris. So we will uh, we will be evaluating it and um, and and fixing that shortly with the form of a contract. But nice job getting that in before uh, before we've decided to clamp down on it. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope that everyone has a great week and weekend tracking the offseason news in college football, NFL playoffs, I guess the Royal Rumble. That will do it for this week's Power Hour. For Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Mm-hmm.